Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Dr. Libby Quinn is a clinical psychologist and founder of the Women's Psychology Clinic, a boutique therapy space for women in northern New South Wales. Now, Dr. Libby draws on her eight years of university training, which includes a Bachelor of Psychological Science with honours and a doctorate in clinical psychology. Dr. Libby has been privileged to work for over 10 years solely in private practice to assist women of all ages to live a more vibrant life. Being a woman herself, she understands the unique challenges that women in today's society face and is incredibly passionate about helping women to strengthen their own resources and learn new evidence-based skills to design their life in a way that optimizes their psychological well-being every single day. Make sure you jump on over to Instagram and give her a follow at The Women's Psychologist. And I hope that you enjoy today's podcast. And if you do, please share it onto your Instagram stories so that we can repost it on ours as well. Welcome, Dr. Libby, to the podcast. I am absolutely so excited to have you on today, and I love how your Instagram speaks to women. So for our listeners at home, could you tell us a little bit more about what you do and why you chose to focus on women's health? Yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, firstly, I want to thank you so much, Leanne, for having me on today because I suppose I'm clearly pretty passionate about more women just getting this understanding that we can all do so much to optimize our psychological well-being. So Mm -hmm. I have been a clinical psychologist, I think it's for about 10 years now, and I was really drawn to the profession because I wanted wanted to help people. Um, Mm -hmm. I could really see from a young age just how important our mind was in every aspect of our life. And I wanted to study psychology in particular and particularly clinical psychology because I could see that the therapies that you learnt within that and then you then applied were really evidence-based. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to know that what I was providing to individuals was evidence-based. And by evidence-based, I mean, you know, similar to your line of work, Leanne, that you know with a strong level of confidence that what you're providing, that the therapeutic approach you're providing is effective. And it's going to work. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, so you know, it was a big time commitment with study, um, but so well worth it now that I have the opportunity to work with women to um, really assist them with their minds. Yeah. Absolutely. And I suppose, yeah, and, and answering your second question around, you know, why women, um, I suppose being a woman myself, I'm a little bit biased in thinking how amazing we are. <laughs> Um, and I've also had just obviously a lot of firsthand experience through my development, um, from being a young girl to a teenager, a young adult, and now a mother of boys, I've really been able to experience and witness just how unique life is for us as women. And, you know, we can look at that through the lens of our physiological differences to men, um, you know, with all of the different hormonal changes we go through over time, all of the different roles or identities we might 
fall into as women. Mm-hmm. And then I think just the um, complexity that can come from that. So I'm really passionate about, yeah, just how unique we are as women and that especially in today's day and age, we are faced with so many opportunities as women. Mm-hmm. And I think we're still trying to navigate that path as a collective. We're still trying to figure out how do we do this in a way in terms of maybe juggling relationships or family life, friendship, work, career. How do we do that in a way that really optimizes our well-being? I think we're all trying to navigate that still. Definitely. And so just to give our listeners a little bit of an insight at home, what in terms of your day-to-day in clinic, what are some reasons or the main reasons that women would choose to book in with you for? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. A lot of women I am definitely starting to notice over the years, there's some kind of universal phenomenons, I suppose, as women we experience. There is understandably more and more women coming to see me for things like stress and anxiety, um, overwhelm, mm-hmm. essentially. In clinical terms, uh, there's a, a diagnosis. I don't tend to rest on diagnoses so much, but it's something to maybe help your listeners make sense of this phenomenon called adjustment disorder, which essentially Mm -hmm. we all experience throughout our life because we're all adjusting to big things at different points. So that's like if someone's going through a relationship breakup, um, trying to figure out a new career path, we all might fall into this category from a clinical sense of adjustment disorder, where you're experiencing feelings of low mood, stress, um, you know, difficulty to being able to sleep. So it's not mm-hmm. so necessary. It's not so much the case that it's really severe uh, examples of um, psychological distress that I'm always seeing. A lot of it probably falls into this more broader category of adjustment disorder. And there's also absolutely lots of women that come to see me for disordered eating, body image difficulties, um, depression, processing past traumas, and I also tend to work with a lot of women in the perinatal period. Um, particularly mm-hmm. with this adjustment to motherhood and reforming their identity with that. Definitely. I love it. And that gives our listeners at home such a, a broad range of, um, I guess, even a great insight into, um, you know, why we might just need somebody to, to you know, to chat to um, and to help us out at different stages of our life. Yeah. Now on your website, Dr. Yeah. Libby, you have an amazing quote that I absolutely love. It says, women in today's world can have endless opportunities, but with that comes endless expectations. And I must admit, you know, as a female entrepreneur, I feel a lot of pressure from society to, you know, to just make it. And, you know, I gave up my safe, my corporate position, my permanent job at the hospital, and I went out on my own and I created a company. And I think with that comes, you know, just that feeling that you you need to make it or you fail and, you know, that society pressure. So I guess, I guess my question for you is, how do you teach your clients to deal with this sort of pressure? Because, you know, we're 2019, we live in this day and age where, yes, we do have so much more opportunities, mm. but with that does come so much more expectation, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think that's such a great question. And it really, um, yeah, it's what I, I mentioned before. I think it's probably something I'm seeing so many women for, really. It's trying mm. to figure out okay, I've got all these opportunities. I've got different work opportunities. We we do live in a day and age with technology where more and more women are wanting and able to work for themselves. And I feel like, again, women as a collective, we're, we're in a wonderful point in time in the history <laughs> of our development as humans where women mm-hmm. do have so many opportunities. And with a 
feminist movement that's taken place, it's provided us with that, which I think is so wonderful, but it's also leading to a lot of women being really overwhelmed with Mm. trying to balance it all in some respects and trying to figure out how to how to navigate that path and yeah I think in very practical terms something I firstly try to work with with my clients and again it's really evidence-based it comes from acceptance and commitment therapy it's coming back to this idea of we each each one of us need to identify what we value so in the four life areas of relationships work slash study health and hobbies um, we need to identify what it is we might value and then that forms a template for us being able to set goals um, or committed action in line with our values. And what that means is that that essentially becomes your own little recipe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to speak, for how you want to um, create your life. And what that means is that if an opportunity comes up and it's not in line with your values, you're able to filter that against that template and say, well, you know, yes, this is an opportunity and sure, maybe I should take that. but is it in line with my values? Is that leading to me creating the life that I want? And for some women, that helps to just clear up a lot of the decision-making. Um, and I also think it's about, yeah, being able to recognise that I really do firmly believe we can have it all as women, um, but it's about trying to figure out that it's not always going to be perfectly balanced in your life. So there might be times, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Leanne, with your business where it is really, really busy. Um, but then maybe you might go through a state of time where you can rest a little bit more and withdraw and um, kind of recoup yourself. So it's it's being able to adjust our expectations that we cannot have everything performing at this super high level in every aspect in our life, but we can have our finger, hand in, in every pot, so to speak, um, and be getting that. And I think, yeah, also in regards to what you said around um, that there might be for yourself and, and for a lot of women, and I've had this myself as well, around these negative thoughts that pop up around kind of who am I to deserve this. Mm. And, I again, I, I think that comes with this is a new experience for us as women around um, we can have what we want. <laughs> we can create this life that we want. We can push boundaries. We can um, get out of our comfort zone. And I think a lot of the negative thoughts that might come up are sometimes in response to us stretching our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and sometimes we need to almost just sit with that discomfort, really. And, and again, as I'm sure you've experienced, and a lot of women, is that in order for us to have this life of vibrancy, of growth, of of having what we want, we do need to get comfortable with discomfort. We need to learn to tolerate that. And essentially that's being able to say, I see you discomfort. You can sit next to me on this journey um, and kind of not be fearful of discomfort, if that makes sense. I love it. And I guess it makes it easier to sort of sit with that discomfort when you have identified what your true values are. As you said in the beginning, it makes it so powerful. Even just to say no, sometimes we just feel so much pressure to have to do it because we feel like we should or because somebody else is doing it and we don't sort of want to miss out. But if you can identify your clear values and does that sort of speak right down to your core, then that will help that decision-making process Mm. so much easier, won't it? 
100%. It just helps to clear it all up. And it's from that, you know, and I know where we might talk about that a bit later, but it also helps us to build confidence as well, because we all have mm. an individual version of what happiness means to us, what success means to us. And that's going to change at different points in our life, depending on the resources we have available and, and what we're doing at that point in time. And I think that also speaks to the importance of really helping our minds to move away from comparing ourselves to others because <laughs> that's, that's a big one. Definitely. Yeah. It's a huge one, isn't it? Mm. Um, and now I love, um, I've seen a quote online before as well, and it sort of says that, you know, confidence starts from the inside out. Mm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? And I love how you link it back to our value system as well in terms of knowing your values, build your confidence. Mm. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Absolutely. And uh, I 100% agree that confidence does start from within. Um, so a lot of people, and I think women in particular, we get a little bit confused that confidence needs to be tied up with our appearance. Mm. Um, and the reason why this is the case is because we've all had experiences as women, you know, say if we, you know, get our hair done or if we've lost weight or if we're gaining more muscles or we've got makeup on, we might go, yeah, I feel pretty good about myself. Mm -hmm. And we mistake that as true confidence. So we develop a bit of a false belief that our that in order to feel confident, we have to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I would say that you might, in those moments, be experiencing feelings of confidence, but it's not true confidence. And it's confidence that's actually resting on shaky ground because you're essentially sending this message to yourself that in order to feel confident, I have to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if there's moments in time where I'm not looking that way, then I can't be confident. So it's about trying to discern that confidence doesn't need to be tied up in our appearance. We might experience those emotions there, but confidence does actually start with identifying what you value mm -hmm. and acknowledging that that's unique. Um, you know, I think that this is a, a key kind of mindset mindset shift for women is when we can identify that we are all unique. And I know we've all heard that message, but you would appreciate this, Leanne, from like a physiological point of view mm -hmm. with the work that you do with women I'm sure you've seen just how unique women are. You know, no two bodies are the same. Absolutely. <laughs> and and we really need to take that on board, that we all have unique DNA. We have unique experiences that then interact with that DNA, which essentially forms us. <laughs> so we need to come back to firstly this place of acknowledging I'm unique and I've got something really special to offer to the world. Sure, I might see other individuals doing the exact same thing and I might compare myself to them, mm -hmm. but they're not me. And I feel that that's a, a really key starting place for women is to be able to acknowledge that, to, to appreciate their uniqueness, I suppose. And, and again, it comes back to not comparing yourself to other women. So it's building on your values and, and creating your life off that and it's essentially about acknowledging that confidence comes from the relationship you have with yourself. Love that. And I have been spending a lot of time myself trying to work on what I call my ego. Yeah. And I feel like my ego daily, multiple times a day, really gets in the way of my confidence sometimes because yeah. it says, who are you to deserve this? You're not good enough, you know, that sort of thing. And I, yeah. I've started to 
almost disassociate myself from my ego if that makes sense just sort of acknowledge that it's there you know um it's not a true thought but I acknowledge you know because ego really in terms of our physiology is it there to protect us is is that correct so it sort of doesn't say these things in our head that sort of want to protect us from that pain from a previous experience perhaps but it's learning to I guess put that ego aside and sort of allow um that confidence to come through would you would you agree with that Absolutely, Leanne. And I think it's, um, I think it's great what you're doing with that because <laughs> you're on the right path with that. And I, you know, as with a lot of things, there's always different words to almost explain the same thing. So mm. some people might know that as ego. Um, I sometimes view it as we call it our core beliefs, mm-hmm. which stem from early experiences, mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. Um, some people call it their story, but it's being able to identify that any negative thoughts you have about yourself Um, whilst they might feel like they stem from a previous experience, it's being able to acknowledge that that thought, it's just a story. Mm. It's actually not fact. So we need to help the mind discern and, and notice that difference between what is a thought, what is a bunch of words that my mind is attaching meaning to, and that's absolutely your ego or your core beliefs or your story, and that that is actually different to fact. Mm. And when we can see ourselves as separate to our ego, so that's getting into our observer mind, when we can see ourselves as separate to our ego, as separate to our story or our core belief, it frees us up to take action in line with our values. And that that normally brings discomfort mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not familiar. Our ego, our core beliefs, our stories, they, they're familiar and they want to keep, keep us in a safe place. Mm-hmm. And anything outside of that story or ego is unfamiliar. Yes. And it's, it's, that's what we're saying. It's learning to recognize that discomfort comes with that, but we need to invite that discomfort in mm-hmm. um, and stay focused on our values. And that's going to help to allow that confidence to flourish, if that makes sense. I love that. And um, I'm going to provide a little tip for our listeners at home, something that I personally have been doing whenever that, you know, that old belief system or that ego gets into my head. What I do is I stop myself immediately and I write down whatever I'm thinking on paper because Mm. I feel like it's so much easier to rationalize my thoughts when they're down on paper rather than when they're up in my head. And then I give myself almost like objective advice, like, say I was telling my mum or my best friend, if she came to me and she said this, like, you know, you're not good enough. Like, what Mm. would you tell back to her? Because Mm. often as women, we're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? You know, we always, especially when our thoughts are just going around in our head, they just keep going and going and going. Mm. And sometimes subconsciously, we don't even realize how many times a day we're telling ourselves that. So that's a little tip um, for our listeners at home that I've been doing. Would you agree with something like that, that it is helpful? Absolutely, Leanne. And, you know, the the science behind that of, of as to why it's so effective is it's absolutely critical to stop yourself in that moment. And it's the more you bring that awareness into the moment as to when it's happening, it allows mm-hmm. you to change how you're responding to your thoughts in that moment. Whereas if we don't bring that awareness in, we stay on that habitual pattern. And so we stay in that same behavioral pattern as well. And what you're doing there by Putting it on paper is bringing you into your observer mind so you can see these thoughts and words for what they are. So that automatically, as soon as you do that, it starts to regulate the emotion that's tied with that. And it's actually helping to activate the part of your brain, which we call, you know, your prefrontal cortex, which Mm -hmm. is what we say is like associated with your rational mind. Whereas Mm -hmm. when we're in that moment, 
and we're flooded with a negative thought, which ties with it a very strong emotion. It activates our limbic system, that part of our mind. Um, and when we're in that space, we can't be rational. <laughs> so, you know, if we think about, we want to change these thought patterns because that allows us to feel differently and act differently. Putting it down on paper is critical for moving us into that rational and wise part of our mind. And then you extending on that by saying, okay, well, what would um, I say to a friend or my mom or another woman in this situation? Again, it's allowing you to access the really rational part of your mind, which we all have, and you're strengthening up the neural connections between that. So you're effectively forming a new habit, mm -hmm. uh, a new pattern that's supporting you to look after your mood and your confidence and all of that. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I love how you just added that clinical and the scientific back up to sort of what I was saying yes, <laughs> because yeah, I know, absolutely. I know that it works and I know I've been doing it for such a long time and I try to explain yeah, it to my great. clients and they kind of think, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the way you said it was just so powerful. So please, anybody listening at home, please go and do exactly what um, I and Dr. Libby <laughs> have just described and sort of get yourself out of that, that habit because that ego, that storytelling, it is just it is just a habit, isn't it? It's just the thoughts that run over and over and over in our head that we've just almost conditioned ourselves to believe over time. It's so true. And it's what makes it so powerful is we have developed these stories from a really young age. And it's our mind loves to generate thoughts. That's our mind's job. And our mind within any given day can generate 60 to 80,000 thoughts. Um, wow. Which is a lot. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if we're not, if we're not, being aware and reeling that in and redirecting our thinking, then that's going to be so powerful if we let those habitual negative thought patterns keep shaping our behavior because they will. Mm. Mm -hmm. And say for anybody listening at home, I mean, say they're in a situation and they're not able to, you know, grab a pen and paper or write that down. Do you have any other tips, Dr. Libby, that they might be able to do? Say they're, I don't know, in a customer service role at work and they're, they're not able to pick up their phone or grab a journal mm. or something like that. Is there anything that they can do, you know, while you're working or if you're a busy mum and you're, you're a bit stressed for that day? Is there anything that you can do? Um, any other tips that you've got for our listeners that don't physically involve doing something, if that makes sense? Yeah. Definitely. I, I think a really powerful one, and it's a similar kind of thing, and it works for myself and for a lot of other people that are quite visual, but it's actually um, saying to yourself in that moment, it's visualizing picking up those thoughts, or it might be visualized as like a big negative cloud in you or however you want to um, make that a picture, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's visualizing kind of grabbing that from your mind and putting it next to you. So it's oh, being able to say, you know, say if you're at the checkout or you're serving customers or you are at home dealing with very demanding children, you can <sighs> say, I notice these negative thoughts are there and you can use self-talk and say to yourself, these, these thoughts are just words. Mm -hmm. They're wanting me to believe them, but I know that they're just words and it doesn't help me to believe them. So I'm going to visualize mm -hmm. just picking these thoughts out of my mind, putting them next to me, and I'm going to redirect my focus to something that will make me feel good or I'm going to refocus on a time when someone paid me a compliment and, and acknowledged something that was good in me. So just redirecting your focus with that. So again, with that, you're actually separating your thoughts out from you. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I absolutely love that. I'm picturing clouds in front of me at the moment. Yes. <laughs> I'm very calm at the moment. It's wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. And it's something that I find myself doing because I've got two boys, five mm. and two. 
And, uh, you know, that's definitely elevated my stress levels at time and my ability to keep my mind in a calm and happy place. And I often find I am driving along and I'm like, okay, I noticed these thoughts and I'm going to put them in the seat next to me. <laughs> so I'm literally driving around with my thoughts next to me. <laughs> exactly. And it just, it, it's so powerful, isn't it? Because then you realize that it's, they're just thoughts, they're just words. As you said, they're not, um, they're not true. They're not who you are. They don't define you, but they're just, they're just words at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. Love it. Now, Dr. Libby, I get a lot of questions from women um, through my social media around anxiety. Do you have any, mm. I guess, top tips, take home messages to help women with anxiety at all? Definitely. And anxiety is, yeah, it's something that I have definitely witnessed with a lot of my clients as well. And the top tips is probably firstly acknowledging and, and getting an understanding what is anxiety. So anxiety is essentially, it's this combination of cognitions of our thoughts that are saying I'm scared of this or I can't do this or I can't cope. It's these thoughts paired with a very strong physiological response in your body. So that might mean, you know, you've got higher levels of adrenaline and cortisol that are pumping through your system. Your sympathetic nervous system is activated and you might feel that in your body by an elevated heart rate, sweaty palms, a feeling of breathlessness. So it's being able to firstly say to yourself what this fear or anxiety is. It's a it's a bunch of words plus a physiological response. So it's being able to mm -hmm. label it for what it is. Whereas what will often happen is when we experience anxiety, we go into this judgment space of, oh my goodness, it's anxiety. I can't cope. It's back here again. And that sets off a whole mm -hmm. nother cascade of a stronger physiological response. So it's being able to, that, that first tip is essentially label things for what they are. So it's being able to say, I notice these thoughts in my mind and they're a bunch of words. I'm going to put them next to me. I notice this strong physiological response in my body. And that's all that is. It's a physiological response. So it's helping to break that down for our mind because as soon as we pull all that together and we say, oh my goodness, I'm anxious, I can't cope it really does trigger off another cascade of anxiety. Mm. My next tip would probably be to also just, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid anxiety. Um, we're wired to avoid mm -hmm. discomfort. It's, it's kind of from, you know, the evolution of us as humans that if anxiety comes up, it's like an alarm system that goes off and we need to try and do whatever we can to remove that feeling. And now in modern day, we're not, running away from wild animals, so to speak. <laughs> um, so it's, it's more anxiety has actually increased and it's now being triggered by all these little things that um, are having such a big primal physiological response in our body that it doesn't really need to. So this comes back to that idea of reframing how we view anxiety to be able to say, I'm going to allow that next to me. I'm not going to try and push it away. I'm not going to try and run away from it. It's almost inviting that in. And it sounds odd. A lot of people almost panic at the thought of that. <laughs> but by doing that, we actually reduce its power. Mm, I love it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's quite powerful. And so with this idea, it's, we're, we're also learning to view our thoughts as separate to us with anxiety. So if we're having anxious thoughts of um, I'm really worried X might happen or I feel like I can't cope with this, again, it's acknowledging that that is just a bunch of words. 
you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to believe it. And this strategy is called thought diffusion. Mm -hmm. It's being able to diffuse from our thoughts. And that frees us up to feel a lot calmer in the moment. Mm. And the other, other tip with anxiety, which is really critical, is um, it's, it's what we call exposure. So it's being able to incrementally expose ourselves to what might trigger anxiety so we get desensitized to that physiological response and we get the evidence coming back into us that we can, in fact, do mm -hmm. it. And it's only from taking action that we yeah, develop more evidence of how capable we are and that we can essentially live with our anxiety. And that in turn reduces our anxiety as well. Definitely. Now, you mentioned some amazing tips in terms of trying to get on top of our thought processes, but I know from a lot of women, they always say to me, it's the, the physical response that they find the most, um, I guess, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. The physical response is, is the, the thing that they um, really struggle with the most. You know, the, that feeling, you know, your, your tummy cramps, you might be running to the bathroom, you almost feel sick, you feel so nauseous. Yeah. Do you have any tips in terms of trying to, um, I guess, get on top of that physical response? Um, things like deep breathing or meditation, do you find that they help with anxiety as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, again, you're so in that moment, you know, the basis of that anxiety is a sympathetic nervous system response where mm -hmm. there is more adrenaline and cortisol and that does upset your stomach. Um, and so we want to really activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite to that, which is more around that rest and digest phenomenon about um, releasing serotonin and dopamine, which helps to calm us. So things like deep breathing um, will definitely help you to access your parasympathetic nervous system and keep you in a calmer space. Mm -hmm. I like to practice what I call mindfulness on the fly. Um, so that's being able to, if you're noticing those physiological responses, it's being able to turn your attention externally to your to what you what's happening internally to you. So what happens when we're in an anxious moment like that? Our mind gets really drawn into what's happening internally within us. And it's really helpful if we can say, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness in this moment. And I'm just going to pick up an object. So in front of me, I've got a pen. So I'm going to pick up this pen and I'm going to look at this pen as though I've never seen a pen before. And I've never seen this pen in before. And I'm going to describe in detail what it looks like, what it feels like. And get really immersed in describing that. And what you're doing in that moment is you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system because you're practicing mindfulness. So you're calming yourself down. You're also switching your focus to your external environment instead of your internal environment. And you're giving your mind a job to do, which then in turn has an effect on, on calming that physiological response. So that's what we call... Yeah, what I would say is kind of mindfulness on the fly. You can do it anywhere <laughs> in any situation. And even if it's not picking up an object, it's looking at an object, it's looking at a tree and giving your mind the job to describe that in detail. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I can even just, I'm looking at my uh, my lamp in the corner of my desk right now. <laughs> and you can, you can see how that, even if you're not focusing on deep breathing or anything like that, just giving yeah. your mind something else to focus on, as you said, automatically mm. calms you, doesn't it? And brings about that sense of calm a little bit more. 100%. And it's, I, I appreciate how strong the physical sensations of anxiety are. And mm. that's where for some people, deep breathing just doesn't work. 
um, mm-hmm. because it's just they feel it's they're too overwhelmed in that state and it's actually making them focus on their internal physiological response more. So that's where sometimes, and it's more about trial and error for us as individuals, it's really helpful to switch our focus to an external environment. And by practicing mindfulness, we are definitely activating that parasympathetic nervous system response, which calms that that internal physiological arousal. Absolutely. I love it. Such a wonderful health hack that um, really anybody can do at home or, or anywhere, even if you're just driving, you know, all that sort of thing as well. Yes. Wonderful. 100%. Now, as women, we really sometimes, some some of us struggle from that self-sabotage, don't we? And mm. I guess that's a, a question I get often on my social media from a weight loss perspective, but I know that women suffer from it in all aspects of their life. So mm. why do we self-sabotage and, and how do we deal with this on a day-to-day basis, Dr. Libby? Yes, that is such a good question. And it's definitely something that for, for us as a collective, as women, we we all struggle with. And essentially the basis of self-sabotage, it does come from this idea of all of us holding essentially under the surface in our subconscious some negative core beliefs about ourselves, some negative stories, and that's that idea of um, our ego kind of taking mm-hmm. over. And what that means is that from a young age we may have received these messages And it may not have taken much where we felt we're essentially we developed this view of ourselves that we're not good enough or we might feel that underneath the surface that we're defective or unworthy Mm -hmm. and we're not always in this space. So these core beliefs will only sometimes get activated. We're not necessarily always going around with this feeling of I'm not good enough. But Mm -hmm. what happens is say you set off on the path of, setting yourself a goal of, okay, I'm going to exercise five times this week. Mm -hmm. But under the surface, there might be this core belief of I'm not good enough or I don't deserve happiness or I don't deserve to have the life that I want. And what happens is you go about and you might get two sessions in, say, and then the third, it's coming up to get that third session in and your core belief might stir up negative thoughts to say, oh, I actually can't be bothered today. Um, or, you know, why am I really aiming for this? I'm never going to be as fit as this person. Um, I'm just not worth doing this and I can never commit to this stuff anyway, so I'm just going to not go. I'm going to forget about it. And Mm -hmm. that in that moment is self-sabotage Yes. because it's essentially, so what you're trying to do, you know, you're trying to stay focused on your values and your goals and move yourself in a really positive direction, but this old core belief of I'm not good enough or I'm unworthy triggers off automatic thoughts and these automatic thoughts are so powerful that we unknowingly know they are there and they will redirect our behavior and so it redirects our behavior to say no I'm not going to do that I'm essentially going to fail and then that core Mm. belief gets the validation it's after it gets reinforcement and we feel in some ways as odd as it might sound even though we don't want it we feel comforted by that because it's Mm. familiar Mm-hmm. for us. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yes. So it really does come back to managing those negative thoughts or emotions, managing our ego, our story and our core beliefs. Absolutely. And it's about, again, you know, so in real terms, how do you manage that when it comes up, when you notice yourself self, self-sabotaging or, you know, for some mm-hmm. of the women you might work with, um, they might report, I try to be really consistent with my nutrition and then, um, you know, 
just out of the blue, I'm overwhelmed with emotion or I'm having negative thoughts about myself and I will, you know, binge on two blocks of chocolate and I'm sabotaging myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's at that point I often say to people that as soon as you start to get a sense of a negative feeling coming up or negative thoughts, just having that awareness, the first thing to do is pause. Just like imagine, <laughs> visualize you're pressing a pause button. Um, mm. And what that does is, yeah, it's it's stopping you in that moment to calmly say, okay, I'm going to choose to not believe this thought and not go down that thought. And I'm instead going to generate a new thought around what's going to take care of me. So it's recognizing in those moments that you have a choice. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that's a really powerful concept. And often when we're all caught up in our mind, we just listen to that one, you know, that one thought or that one core belief around self-sabotage. And we sort of forget that we do have a choice in that moment. You know, we could choose to go either way. And often we go the way of self-sabotage because as you said, it's something that we've always done. And it's that route that we've just almost conditioned ourselves to do. But the more we choose that alternative route, the easier it becomes. Mm. Um, And I like to describe this to my clients as like you're driving down. Down, um, a familiar road. You know, you get to the end of the road and you always go left and you don't even think about it. Like you just turn left. Yeah. But the minute that you stop, you pause, yeah. you acknowledge that, hey, there's an alternative route here. It's not going to harm me. I could, <laughs> I could potentially go right. It's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable because I always go left, but let me just try this for today and turn right and see what happens. And then I like to say to my clients, and the minute that you keep going right, like you choose right each time after that, it gets easier every single time. And you're mm. almost creating that new habit. And that is now your new belief over time. 100%. And, you know, we know that you know, what I love about this, I suppose, is is the science behind it. You know, we now know that our brains are really malleable. Um, brains are what we call plastic, mm-hmm. that idea of neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. where if we open our mind up to a new thought or a new behavior, we are laying down new neural pathways and we're essentially changing what's happening in the structure of our brain. Yes. So if we keep going down that new pathway, we're laying down stronger neural connections which are the basis of our habits and so that exactly what you say that new pathway turning right becomes more automatic over time so it does become easier over time but I think it's it's really important to acknowledge that self-sabotage it does stem from a negative core belief negative stories and it's being able to acknowledge that that's separate to you and catching yourself in the moment that you can make a decision of choosing an action or choosing a thought that's going to bring you more in line with your values and where you want to be in life. Love it. Dr. Libby, you are full of so much wisdom. Oh, our listeners are absolutely going to love this conversation. Oh, I love talking about this stuff. (laughs) Now, I know we've only got a small amount of time left, so I actually put the question out to my Instagram followers if they had any questions for you. And I did get quite Mm. a huge response back. So we're just going to go through a couple today if that's all right with you. Of course. Yeah. So the first question was um, from Anonymous. So how do you stop shame from entering when you're trying to work on yourself? That's such a good question. And I suppose it's about firstly acknowledging that shame is a really heavy emotion and it's being able to, it might sound odd and we we hear this in motivational posts and and all of that, but there's actually, again, lots of evidence to support this idea of self-compassion. 
And this can Mm. be really uncomfortable for us to do because for a lot of us as women, it's not the norm to have a self-compassionate relationship with ourselves. But it's about being able to start talking to yourself in such a way to say, okay, I acknowledge that shame is there and that that's coming up. I acknowledge that it's an emotion. I can label it. And again, I can view this emotion as separate to me. So similar to what Mm. I was talking about before with thoughts and thought diffusion, we can do the same with our emotions about being able to acknowledge. I often talk about it that emotions are like a weather pattern coming in and we are, our observer mind is like a permanent physical structure. So thinking of that like we are a building or we're a mountain and that the weather pattern comes in, we are not that weather pattern, we're the permanent structure and we might feel the effects of that weather pattern but it's going to pass. So it's again, it's being able to, the more you can separate yourself as a person, as that observer mind out from a heavy emotion of shame and seeing that as separate to you, it it starts to help it, um, help you to regulate that emotion better. And I think with shame, I think where you really want to encourage your mind to move towards is this idea of really viewing yourself as a human. So part of the human experience, and no one gets away without this, <laughs> is we make mistakes. And sometimes we make the same mistake repeatedly. I know I absolutely mm. have in my life already. I have been through patterns where I've made the same mistakes and there's been shame attached to that. But it's about being able to acknowledge, okay, I'm human, being able to talk to yourself in that self-compassionate way of I'm not proud or happy of how I've managed that. Um, but what can I learn from this? Mm. Because mm-hmm. all of our experiences, particularly our adverse experiences, they have the potential to offer us so much growth. If we were to compare two individuals, one person that has had adversity in their life and one person where they have just sailed through life, the, pater- the person who has had adversity has a greater capacity for personal development and growth because of simply because of what they've experienced. So this is where it's really critical with shame in particular to reframe our experiences as their experiences and it's part of the human condition and and it's okay. I don't have to beat myself up for that anymore. I can acknowledge that I'm learning and I'm growing and what do I want to take away from that? So one of my favourite quotes is this idea that adversity brings growth. Mm. And and a phenomenon tied up with that, I don't know if you've heard of it, Leanne, it's called post-traumatic growth. And it's that idea that by going through traumatic experiences, and in my eyes, trauma is anything that we weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be something really severe in everyone's mind, but it's just, it's something that we weren't ex- expecting and it really affected us psychologically. You know, having a trauma allows us to develop post-traumatic growth which essentially means we have a greater capacity to have higher levels of contentment, of happiness, of wisdom, and of learning. That's what Mm. adverse experiences offer us. So it's reframing those potentially shameful experiences as really great learning opportunities. I love how you made that so positive as well. And I'm such a visual person that when you were saying the buildings and the, you know, the, um, the weather and that sort of thing, I could really see myself visualizing that as well. I think that's wonderful. Yes. It's a favorite of mine. (laughs) Now, the next question is from Hannah. How do you say to yourself, it's okay to eat bad or unhealthy foods and I won't get fat? Yeah. And that's, that's a really good question. And again, I'm sure you see it a lot in your work. 
Leanne, and, and I've definitely come across mm-hmm. it as well. And I would say, you know, firstly, from a psychological point of view, what I really believe, I suppose, is being able to reframe food that it doesn't have a moral imperative. Food is not necessarily good or bad. And when we're Mm -hmm. in that space of trying to categorize food as good or bad, we're setting ourselves up to have really strong emotions attached to food. Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful to look at food, again, from an evidence-based perspective of looking at food from its nutrient value, being able to acknowledge, well, what does this food give me? And I really like your approach with that too, Leanne, of also acknowledging, well, what are my soul foods? What are the foods Mm -hmm. that I just want to have for pleasure and social experiences because that's what, in in my understanding, that's what food is. It's mm. about what do you gain from it from a nu- nutrient perspective and how can you optimise your well-being with that. But balancing that with I also want to eat for pleasure and social experience and, and that also contributes <laughs> to our well-being. So I think the first step is really steering your mind away from classing food as good or bad mm. and, and viewing it in that term of, well, what's its nutrients value? And that means that I'm also going to sometimes have food like chocolate or wine that may not be so high on the nutrient value point, but it's high on the pleasure. And, and that's a part of the experience that I want to have. And, and we should have that. I think it also comes down to and I'm not sure how much you you see this, Leanne. I'm, I'm guessing probably quite a lot, but I feel like as women we've learnt to not trust our bodies, mm-hmm. and a lot of that comes from you know with all the information around how we feel we should look as women, all of the information around diets and how to manage our bodies, and all of that. We're we're giving up our internal cues for satiety and hunger for something external to us. Mm-hmm. And if we've had an over-reliance on that, we've lost trust with our body. And so what that means is um, for someone who, say, might eat what they call an apparent bad food, if they have chocolate, they might feel like, oh, I can't trust my body in this experience. I mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to gain so much weight because I've just had this bad food. I've just had chocolate and I can't trust my body because they've just had this over-reliance on external stimuli. Have I explained that? Definitely. And the way that I sort of... In a way that makes sense. Yeah. And I sort of see that in a lot of clients who are overly reliant on calorie countings or meal plan or tracking using something like MyFitnessPal, where they're looking at food as numbers and macros and they stop Mm. seeing it as just food. And as you mentioned, they lose that intuitive, am I hungry versus am I full? And they start seeing food as like clean or dirty. And this is you know, great macros, this is bad macros, or this is too high in calories. And we start Mm. putting numbers and labels on food and forget that food is just fuel for our body. And we want to always nourish our body and then we can nourish our soul a little bit as well. But Mm. I think that when we get caught up in the calories and the macros and the tracking and the diets and the meal plans, we, we stop seeing food as food and food as nourishment. We see food as numbers and labels. And I think that's where a lot of people get into a little bit of, um, I guess, trouble and start um, associating you know, food at, with emotions attached to it rather than just seeing food as nourishment for your body or nourishment for your soul, the concept that I sort of like to talk about. 100%. And I think that's just such a nice way of describing it. And I can really appreciate that um, there might be certain times where it is helpful to track our macros or our calories and get an understanding Mm. of, okay, well, what's the energy requirements that my body actually needs? And again, that can be Mm. really powerful for a lot of women in particular, I think, to actually see how much fuel their bodies do need to function optimally. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, for some women, absolutely, it can uh, 
that can spin into a negative spiral where there's just an over-focus on an external resource that they need to measure themselves against or get feedback from, and it really mm. disconnects them from their internal cues. And that idea of, as I'm sure you would appreciate, Leanne, just that we've all got kind of a bit of a set point range with our weight, a bit of a bend that we might fall between naturally, and a lot of that's genetically determined. Um, so, again, it comes back to that idea of, yeah, accepting our uniqueness and you know, I like to view it as taking some what I call behavioural experiments <laughs> or exposure of doing things that do get you out of your comfort zone, but then you can get the feedback and the evidence coming back in that you just didn't suddenly gain five kilos overnight, that you mm-hmm. um, that you can, in fact, eat a couple of squares of chocolate and not polish off the whole thing in one sitting. And the only way we get that evidence that we can, in fact, look after our bodies in a really sustainable way is by taking action um, and allowing that discomfort and getting the feedback in that we can manage that ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Now, finally, Dr. Libby, I have worked very, very closely with psychologists um, throughout my career as a dietitian. Mm. I find that they're two disciplines that work just completely like so well together. But I also find that, and this breaks my heart to say that sometimes there is a little bit of, I guess, stigma in terms of accessing a psychologist. People almost say, oh, I don't need that. I don't want that. Um, but I hope today by listening to our conversation, people realize how how incredible it would be to sit down with a psychologist. So I guess, are there any, um, I guess, red flags or areas where you would say to women, if you're experiencing this, then it would be really helpful to touch base with a psychologist. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I would say, and and I completely agree with you with what you're saying around just, um, there is unfortunately still stigma tied up with the thought of accessing a psychologist Mm. or even talking about that as well. And a lot of that comes from the history of psychology where the history of psychology stems from pathologizing individuals and it's been focused on what's wrong with someone and that's where a lot of that negativity comes from. But there's actually been the development of positive psychology over time, which really helps to essentially it focuses on how do we optimize someone's well-being mm. and reframing that. And that's what I would encourage all of us to view psychology as is that it's essentially probably I'm a bit biased, but one of the best things we can do. To look after ourselves because essentially it's allowing us to get a bit of a check-in around where is my mind at, where's my emotional well-being at and how can I manage that and as far as red flags go as to when it when you might need to go and see a psychologist mm-hmm. um, I would say you know if you're noticing that you're having more experiences of a negative mood or an anxious mood or feeling overwhelmed Um, or feeling lost, or you're noticing that the patterns of your um, eating behavior or the way that you're talking to yourself, when that ratio is more negative than it is positive, Mm. I would say that that's probably a really good indicator that you could really benefit by going and talking to a psychologist. And again, you know, as you can appreciate, Leanne, unfortunately, particularly as women, it's not until it's in some cases too late, <laughs> until mm. we're really down that severe path that we say, oh, my goodness, I need to go and see someone or our partners drag us into that, mm-hmm. um, that I would say we want to access help earlier than that. So, yes. 
And and that's where it comes back to that idea of, yeah, if you're feeling like you can't pull yourself out of a negative pattern, if you're feeling like you're a bit stuck in some area of your life, you know, psychologists, particularly in the past 10 to 15, 20 years, which I say is more recently, we've all been trained with this idea of, of positive psychology in mind about, you know, we want to help people optimize their well-being. It's the same mm. as you go to a personal trainer and you want to get fitter and stronger. Mm. That's what we serve as psychologists for your mind. You know, we we see people from the, the full range. Um, and I would say if you have been wondering about whether you could benefit from seeing a psychologist, that's probably a good indicator that you will. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. And I, I just hope from he- everybody hearing what all your wonderful words of wisdom, if somebody is sitting at home and they are struggling with more negative thoughts and positive thoughts, and they do, please go and book in with somebody mm. and and see somebody. And on that note, I know you have a very busy clinic today, packed full of clients, so I better let you go. But where can our listeners find you, Dr. Libby, your website, your Instagram, and do you take online consultations if somebody would love to get in touch with you directly? Yes, absolutely. So I am on Instagram as the women's psychologist and my goal there is really to just provide really practical content um, Mm -hmm. that women can use on the go. Uh, So go there first because I'm there a lot of the time. Um, (laughs) I'm also, my website is the women's psychology clinic.com. If you just want to have some more details about getting in touch with me, I'm based in Northern New South Wales. So about 20 to 30 minutes North of Byron Bay. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if there's anyone in the area that wants to come and see me, I, you definitely can. I'm in a clinic there. Um, And I do also take online clients. So I do that over zoom or Skype. Um, and I've got clients in a few different places as well. Wonderful. So for anybody listening at home who would love to see Dr. Libby themselves, you can do that from, from all areas, which is wonderful because she really is just such an expert in what she does. And she really does specialize in women as well, which is why I, I chose her to come on this podcast for you ladies, because I feel like I know that you would have got so much out of this conversation today, but I know that for a lot of listeners at home, you do need to take that extra step further and get some personalized advice as well. So thank you, Dr. Libby, so much for giving us your time and your wonderful knowledge today. Day. I really would love to have you back on the podcast one day because the selfishness in me could have chatted to you for the next three hours probably. And I'm sure that there is so much more value that you could give our listeners. So we hope to have you back on one day and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Leanne. And I would absolutely love to be back. And I think, yeah, it's hopefully pretty clear that I'm really passionate about just women optimizing their psychological well-being and just how we can strike that balance between looking after our bodies and our minds so we can really have the life that we deserve so thank you so much leanne you are more than welcome have a beautiful day you too thank you Wow, wasn't that an incredible podcast? Dr. Libby has such brilliant and practical tips, so please make sure you jump on over to her Instagram and give her a follow. She's at The Women's Psychologist. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to your Instagram stories so your friends and family can see it too, as my goal is to help just one person every day. And the more that you guys share my podcast with your loved ones, the more that that's possible. So thank you again for tuning in and I'll catch you in next week's episode. But please don't forget to leave me a five-star review if you enjoy these weekly podcasts as they really do take a lot of time to create. And so if you have a spare 30 seconds to leave me a positive rating or review, it honestly means the world to me. I'll catch you in the next episode, guys.